0: And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 176 of oh, Cinepunks. Cinepunks. I know, I know, it's so cool,
1: it's so, so cool.
0: I so mean, today, well, well, hold on, do we, do okay. y- shall we introduce the guests Let's just first, jump into Liam? it,
1: let's just jump, I mean, yeah. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back for 176, was all I was going to say, because, oh, you know, right. we have yeah. friends that are on episode, like, 400, and we're like, 176, we did it! I know, it's only been 10 years, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Who's counting? Nobody. But, uh. All right. Sorry. Sorry, guys. I, I was just real excited. So I got all jumbled. But um, yeah, we have guests today. We do. And these are guests that are my new friends from Rochester, New York, the home of Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Children. And uh, I met them at the Nitrate Film Festival. It's, that's where it's from, Liam. That's where it's from.
1: Okay, fine. All
0: right. <laughs> uh, so we're on with my new friends from Rochester, with Emily, with Rachel and Kristen. What's up, guys? I met you guys at the Nitrate Film Fest at the Georgie C. Museum.
2: Hello. <laughs> Going great. How are you? This is Greens awesome. I'm and so happy you guys.
0: Dude, you guys were so cool because <laughs> you were <laughs> knitting and stuff, and I was like, okay, I know I follow some people on Instagram and stuff, and I'm just gonna be like, we're friends now in life, like in real life. And I was like, they're knitting, they have tattoos. It's pretty cool, man. We're gonna be friends. <laughs> But yeah, so y- you guys are like there's Rachel's in San Francisco and um Kristen and Emily are in Rochester, correct?
3: Correct. Yep, that's that's correct.
0: That's awesome. How long have you guys been going to the fest for?
2: Uh Rachel and I have gone since the beginning, actually.
1: All seven.
4: Yeah, we've yep, been to all, all seven. seven.
1: That's what so was cool. what was it like w- when you first started going compared to now?
4: Um, so part of why I go to the festival every year is I was actually a student at the L. Jeffrey Selznick School of Film Preservation through the George uh, Eastman oh, Museum. Sure.
3: Yeah,
4: um, where I actually got to like handle nitrate. And um, when they announced the festival in 2015, I was still working in a position where I was regularly working with film, regularly doing move and image related work. And um, so it was somewhat professional, but it was mostly personal. Um, and it was the one-two punch of, I get to go look at nitrate And as I often would phrase it, hobnob with my fellow wizards and then run around and hang out with Kristen, whom I met in grad school. Um, Year one was mostly, I want to say industry types, which is a really weird way Mm. of phrasing it, but it was a lot uh, of
2: academics a lot of um archivists it was very much professional people and like my background is in libraries and information science yes but like it's turned into me being like an office nerd person who does knowledge management type things so like i have zero experience with all the film stuff it was more just like rachel's asking me to go to a movie and it's a silent film and somebody's playing piano and that's pretty darn cool and so (laughs) then it just turned into that so it was definitely like like I very much felt like I didn't know anything, and Rachel's like, "No, no, no, don't worry. It's it's not that that big a deal. I'll explain." Um, so it was definitely much more of a professional kind of situation than it is now.
1: That's very interesting that it starts off as sort of like a a niche thing where maybe people are there more for uh, professional commitments, and now it's become something you know, like the, that that. Uh, Josh is going to for four years where, you know, uh, yes, we do this podcast, but I'd hardly call it professional. And, (laughs) you know, for the most part, doing a film podcast doesn't require you to go to a nitrate thing. So I think it's interesting that it's uh, uh, attracted people who maybe aren't in the business. Emily, how long have you been going to this thing? And is it partly just uh, you know about it from being in Rochester, or were you also connected to uh the sort of more professional end of this world?
5: Uh, well, I didn't jump on board until 2017, which I I only attended a handful of events and you know a couple lectures and a few screenings, including the fantastic blind date that year, which I I still think about that film, uh, the crazy Finnish film called uh, Livat or Restless Blood, and it's. A phenomenal performance so if you can track it down uh I highly recommend it but um I got into it more I, I'd heard of the event um in passing and didn't really have the time to go before and then suddenly I ended up with a lot of free time in 2017 so I decided to get a weekend pass and just take my chances and, and see what what a film festival was like I had never been to one before Um, but I was a fan of classic film for a number of years and I, and still am, of course. Um, and just kind of threw caution to the wind. It's just like, just show me whatever you got, whatever films you can throw at me. I just, I'm ready to go at this with an open mind and, uh, see what they have to offer. And, um, I'm not sure. I can't compare it to you know, the very first festival, for example, but um, I think it did kind of start out feeling, again, more like a an industry event. There are a lot of people, you know, former Selznick students and uh, people from various archives around the world, uh, which is great to see because that's not people that I get to rub elbows with on a regular basis. I'm not in the industry myself, uh, but as the years have worn on, it's opened up, and there are a lot of just film fans that are have started to attend especially this year a lot of first time attendees and um it's very encouraging to see that that the mark the target audience is just opening up and um i'm curious to see how this goes on as as the uh festivals continue
1: oh man i'm i'm excited to talk about all that josh what were you gonna say
0: Uh, it just seems like it's a cool festival now like before it seemed very like specific But to Emily's point, it just felt like this year in particular, for some reason, just had a bunch of different like other kinds of people than we're used to having seen there before. You know what I'm saying? Do you guys feel the same way or am I off pace here?
2: I mean, I, I'm sure Rachel can talk to this more because she knows uh, the ins and outs of nitrate as like a medium, but like, it seemed like from the beginning, they're just kind of like, whatever we can find, we're going to just show it. It's going to be great. You know, it could be commercials. It can be weird little, um, you know, side films. And we did watch some of those kinds of things this year, but this year kind of felt a little bit more like the art of film from those, those eras rather than just the medium itself. So it actually, I don't know for, I don't know how anybody else felt, but it kind of was Harder for me to like evaluate the film or the uh, medium of nitrate itself versus like the film and like the content of it and the cinematography and things like that, um, which actually kind of came to the fore just because I think the quality of the um, the selections were higher. I don't know what why or how that worked out, but that's kind of just was my impression of this year.
3: Yeah.
1: I I mean, I I want to. Ask a bunch more questions, Josh. But before we get into all that, we need to <laughs> okay. thank a few people. I know you're we, so excited. That you just I'm want so to start right now. talking into it. I know, I know, I know. Because <laughs> you basically, for y'all to understand, you know, Josh tells me on this show about this thing every year, and it sounds cool, but it's different to have other people on, especially people who, uh, you know, know a little bit about it and have been going for a while, whatever. So I think he is. Really excited to have this conversation. Um, I want to, though, before we jump into talking more about the (laughs) Nitro Film Fest, uh, we want to thank a few people. First, of course, we want to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. Uh, You can check out our Patreon at uh, patreon.com, backslashcinepunks, where we have a bunch of uh, Patreon-exclusive content, Uh, and if you would like a Cinepunks shirt, that is the easiest way to get one. Um, And if you are one of our supporters on Patreon and you have not yet received a shirt, please let me know. I will get one to you as soon as possible. Uh, we also want to thank our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, xlvacx.com. Um, you know, Chris reject, It is what it is. But uh, the reality <laughs> is LVAC does uh, some of the most professional screen printing uh, in the world, but are some of the easiest, most fun people to work with. So, uh, you know, Josh loves Chris. I kind of love Chris, you know, it's (laughs) fine. Uh, We also want to specifically mention that LVAC is trying to buy a building uh, so that they can expand uh, their business, hire more people, do more printing. I would love that because as y'all know, my company, Rough Cut Fan Club, we get all of our stuff printed through LVAC and I'd love uh, to be able to get shirts for y'all in, uh, you know, four weeks instead of six weeks. That would be great. So uh, if that's a thing that you would like to support uh, head to their website. You can also find, they have a GoFundMe um, or find them on social media, uh, the LV, the, the underscore LVAC. Uh, But of course you can always head to their website, xlvacx.com and see if you can help them. Uh, get this building they're trying to get and really expand the business. Uh, Josh, we also want to thank who, uh, especially if we're feeling a little tired, we need something something, something
0: warm. Yeah, man. Sometimes you need a little youth crew, hardcore, and coffee. And to that end, we would like to uh, raise up our friend Aaron Dalbeck who does Essex Coffee Roasters. And uh, he has what you need for all the good coffee stuffs. And um, it's all made with love and care. And he's got t-shirts and tees also. Pretty cool. And if you put the, uh, if you go to his website, com and you put uh, the word C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X CinePunks in as your coupon code at the end, you will get 10% off your entire order. And that way you also let Aaron know that we're pretty cool because we're, you know, helping out.
1: And and as always, we want to mention that this episode was mastered and edited by our friend Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. Uh, if you have a media project you would like help with, hit him up over there, uh, MechanicalSharkMedia.com All right, they're done. That was all right. That was done. one of the faster Oof. ad reads that we've done. We we very we swift, through. very swift, uh, y'all. We usually just meander on these things, so it's it's really just because we have guests <laughs> that we decided not to just yeah. go on and on about how, what a degenerate Chris Reject is and all that stuff. So, uh, <laughs> hey, I think a good place to start, even though we have talked about this festival before uh i'd love to have someone give us just a brief uh you know general idea like what exactly is the fest and also why nitrate uh you know i'm kind of looking rachel in your direction but if anyone feels qualified to jump in they're more than welcome to uh just in case there's anyone listening who's confused what we're even talking about right now
4: oh good yeah i'm happy to do that because I have a fancy smancy great degree that says I know these things. Um, I like that.
1: I appreciate that a lot actually.
4: Very <laughs> smart. Very smart. Yeah, it's it's some I will pull out my credentials whenever internet fights break out, not going to lie. Um it's like I'm too educated for this. I'm done. But anyway, um <laughs> so um the festival, the nitrate picture show is dedicated to exhibiting uh, motion pictures on cellulose cellulose nitrite film stock. This was the original um, film base. It was an early plastic and it was used from the beginnings of cinema all the way through approximately 1950, 1951 um, maybe longer in places where they were trying to go through what was left of their stocks. And um The reason it fell out of use is as infamously depicted in *Inglorious Bastards and Cinema Paradiso. It is highly flammable. Um, And honestly, for the most part in ambient room conditions, it's shelf stable. It's fine. Um, If it gets too warm, it will explode. It burns fast. It burns hot. Um, And, Actually, the way it burns is such that it produces its own oxygen. So uh, one of the things they showed us in graduate school at the um, Selznick School was a video recording of somebody taking a on-fire reel of nitrate and putting it into a bucket of water, and it was still bubbling up. It was still producing its own oxygen and burning. Yeah. Um, So... It's the thing about nitrate is it's a lot more stable than a lot of people think it is, but it should, you know, still be taken deadly seriously. It's a toxic substance. Um, So because of that, it can only be stored under very specific conditions and very few motion picture houses can still project it. And again, there's very tight rules around it. It has to be in... um, closed projectors, um, not like the big platter system that multiplexes used to and sometimes still have. Um, there has to be at least two projectionists in the booth, um, amongst other requirements. So, um, and it just so happens that the George Eastman Museum's Dryden Theater is equipped to project it. Um, they also have a substantial collection of nitrate film, um, Negatives as well as prints, um, not all of which are screenable for the prints. Sometimes it's because they're so old that they don't have standard perforations that can go through your average projector. And sometimes it's because film, because it's organic, uh, shrinks over time. So it can't safely be run through a projector. It'll miss a sprocket, it'll end badly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's. Pretty much the rundown of nitrate, Kristen and Emily. Did I miss anything? I no, think you got right. it pretty
5: well covered.
2: <laughs> I mean, this is why um, if you ever look at the programs which are available on the George Eastman uh, Museum website, they'll uh, list the shrinkage um, because those kinds of things will show like when it, it whether or not it's warped, if it's um, you know sound is off, if it's in focus or out of focus, things like that. Um, And, uh, excuse me, I didn't realize this, but uh, at the beginning of the festival, anything more than 1% shrinkage was not showable in their opinion. Um, But something um, this time around was up to 1.55% shrinkage, which is the, the largest that they had had ever. But um, because wow. obviously things are changing, it's been almost yeah. ten years since the first one, and things continue to degrade. Um, so it's very interesting to see how like the standard has kind of changed as far as like what they're willing to show and not.
4: Yeah, I I imagine part of it is also the simple fact that the film festival's been a success for seven years now, so archives feel more comfortable trusting the staff at uh, the George Eastman Museum to project their prints. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I I will say because um, the initial festival and it still builds itself this way in some circles is a festival of conservation. Um, That's part of why they list the shrinkage. It's for them. It's about presenting the prints more than the contents of the film. Mm. Um, Granted, they show some amazing films content wise, but it's more about the presenting of the artifact. So that's also why it started out being more of an industry event. And then as word caught on, it became more and more publicly available, more and more cinephiles kept hearing about this. Oh my God, you you guys got to see Lever to Heaven on Nitrate. That's amazing. Um, I will say one thing that's definitely a um, a barrier for some people to attending the festival is they do not announce what's going to be shown until opening day of the festival. Um. And, and you even know then
0: they don't announce that blind date for nitrate, that last screening. Oh yeah. yeah
2: they don't even yeah, say you... what it is when they're introducing it. You literally they turn the screen on and then you know what film it is.
5: <laughs> yeah. So cool. Which yeah, is the beauty it's... of it. Yeah. Which is why
2: everybody went bonkers this year because it was uh, the third man and everybody went bonkers last year because oh. it was Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah.
1: So well, cool. I, I think there's I'm there's something that is interesting that I kind of want to circle back to in a little bit, which is the, uh, the realization that the presentation of film, you know, the exhibition of film is a technical thing. So, like, if you're in a modern movie theater, right? It feels. I mean, first of all, in a lot of modern movies, it feels like no one gives a fuck about the exhibition of the film. <laughs> they just plugged yeah. in a thumb drive and hoped it turned out okay, and they don't <laughs> change it unless you complain. But, uh, but, uh, but even if you do care, it feels very much more of a a uh, a question of knowledge of computers and this, that, and the other. It all feels very. Um, uh, uh, cerebral, and I don't think people think about the job of the projectionist being a very tactile uh thing, a uh, a uh, 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 question of mechanics, a question of like physical pressure and heat, and like even Rachel, you describing nitrate, right? Like y- y- you're telling us that it is. Maybe a little less dramatic than, say, the artist or whatever, uh, where the or whatever it's 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 dangerous. But you know, you could still show it, whatever. But I'm just thinking of that in the presence of the lamps and the intense light needed to to project and all that stuff. It all feels like. Uh, a very um almost like an artisan thing as well as like a, a mechanical kind of maintenance thing but then it's also artistic right because you're looking out that little hole at this projection and making sure that it's in focus and it feels right or so it just feels like there's a lot that goes into this thing that feels maybe more absent from a more modern presentation of film and i don't i don't know i don't know if that's where if that's anything or not what do you, what do you think about that
4: I, I think that that sums it up quite nicely. Um, one of the things that you'll encounter if you go to a nitrate picture show screening is they make a point of introducing and thanking the projectionists before every screening. Sure. Yeah. Um, because again, their their expertise and their their artistry is on display. The other comment that seems applicable here is last year, prior to the screening of Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, which was amazing. This is awesome. um, yeah. Paulo kirk um talked about the idea that we see cinema as like not a performing art, but the projectionists are themselves performing as part yes. of it. Yes. And like with Rope in particular, Hitchcock took into account how um, – projecting the film would work how real changeovers would work so you have those cuts where it like it goes into like hide behind somebody's back and it's supposed to be like an invisible edit as opposed to the more conventional cuts so um yeah i think it's i think it's worth saying like these these people are highly trained um artisans operators i feel like i feel like neither word does it well does them justice justice? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: Honestly, like I would even go so far to say is that the audience now, especially over the last couple of years, has really um, come into that sort of like aesthetic of the film and like the aesthetic of like what it used to mean to go to films, which is like it was an outing and it was a big deal. And you would dress up and you would go and like it's almost become like a fashion event. Like there were quite a few people that were like dolled up and really, like, in classic sort of dress, which was phenomenal. Um, It it was wild.
0: There was a lot of hat choices.
2: There were a lot (laughs) of very cool hat choices. Um, There was one gal last year who had a purse that was shaped like um, a bucket of popcorn, um, and she had, Uh, like, you know, like, victory (laughs) curls and the whole nine. And so, like, I, I think that the audience is also recognizing that, but I think the tone was absolutely set by the festival to start of, like this is, this is what this whole experience means. And like keeping this history alive and being able to show it is just like the final stage of preservation, because mm. if it's not living in people, it's not living and it's not yeah. real. So it's just, it's very, it's a very complete, very all well-rounded experience. That's for sure.
0: It is definitely awesome. And it is, it's to, to your, to your point earlier that it is like half the conservationists of it. Right. Like, but also, Dude, we haven't even really touched on the content of it, which is incredible. Like we saw mm-hmm. so many great movies oh, this yeah. year. Oh
1: yeah, I'm, I'm oh, gonna have God. I'm gonna have y'all sort of walk through the actual movies themselves for sure. I just wanted to sort of set the stage for people a little bit for those people who maybe don't really know what it is or didn't understand what it was. And I think something we've talked about on this show previously is you know. Um, uh, Rachel, you pointed out the uh, Hitchcock and Rope and uh, not just Hitchcock, but for a while, directors have had very specific ideas and even instructions for the projections of their films. And in our sort of more modern context, I don't know if you got if you all remember, but during, um, you know, the pandemic, there were a ton of directors who were very concerned about whether or not their movies would be shown in theaters. Now, in some cases, I think that is a big issue contractually, if you've, agreed to someone's payment based upon sales of tickets then you need to renegotiate their payment that's one thing but I think in some cases it was an aesthetic feeling of well I made this to be seen in a theater not to be seen at home and I couldn't help thinking and we talked about this Josh at the time that a lot of these directors have not been in a theater recently because I just think (laughs) like the the art of exhibition and the concern of exhibition has gone down in so many places and I and I think that that is not something of just like uh you know they they're not doing a good job i think it's a it is often a result of um an a sort of an economics that demands that theaters really push uh, focusing on like snacks and not so much focusing on what the movie looks like but like what's the point if the movie looks bad like I don't know why I'm in here if yeah. it looks bad what what are we doing what's the what's what's what's, what's going on? I guess it's loud I guess that's a plus maybe uh, but often it's it's too fucking loud okay um Josh I want to do a quick with you uh, before we jump into everyone going through sort of the movies and talking about what they loved and all this stuff. Uh, Josh, just a quick reminder. How did you, you get connected with this thing? I, I feel like I've heard a little bit from our guests, but just a reminder for people like, you know, you do this thing, but how did you find this Nitrate Festival in Rochester? And what made you think like, uh, this is something I need to make the effort to go to because you've really made an effort to be there as many times as you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we heard about it through um just the Film Society here in Philly. I think they were talking about it. And uh, you know, Philadelphia is like a big like physic like actual thirty-five millimeter kind of town. Wouldn't you say Liam? Like um just with exhumed I mean, and like all those guys. It's
1: trying to be. I don't know that there's as many places left to, to show it, but they're they're trying to make it a priority here. Or here. Yeah. I'm in Chicago, but there when I was there.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's it's we're we're spread out geographically. anyway. Um, but yeah, no, we heard about it here at some screening or something just from like film society people and, uh, Milani looked into it and she was like, dude, it's in Rochester. It's not across the country. It looks like fun. Let's do this. And, uh, you know, Liam, like me and me and Melani are the type of people that like, if there's something that does sound interesting, we're going to figure it out and we're going to try and participate in any way that we can. And we've never been disappointed. Like the first year that we went, was just like, yo, this is incredible. And I can't wait to come back. And we just never stopped going since then, you know? So it's awesome. And that's the thing. Like I love watching movies on film, right? Like we've talked about it a lot, but the thing is that like you do, like you were saying, like you really do respect like the ballet that is projecting and displaying and exhibiting these movies on nitrate when you're there.
1: I mean, not 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 that it's a not that it's a, a cakewalk to project anything on film, but nitrate definitely adds a whole other layer to it. Um, let's walk through the fest. I want I want to give y'all plenty of time to gush so that both <laughs> I and our audience can feel all the FOMO in the world about all the cool <laughs> things y'all got to see that we did not.
0: I mean. Dude, it's so cool, Lee. You got to come next year, man. It's seriously the raddest film festival ever. And, like, that's the thing. Like, I haven't gone to too many other film festivals that are, like, specific. Do you guys have you guys been to a bunch before or what? Like, Emily said that this is your first, right?
5: And still, my only film festival that I attend as of yet. Same, actually.
4: I regularly attend the San Francisco Silent Film Festival, and prior to (sighs) it moving, um, across to Oakland, the, uh, film noir or noir city festival. I used to attend that, uh, semi-regularly oh, at the Castro theater. Um, in both cases, I, I, it was not what I do here where, um, I attend every single screening. It's, I pick like one or two and I just go, it's not the, the marathon experience nitrate picture show is.
3: Mm.
0: Like, Liam goes to Fantastic Fest and all that stuff, right? Liam, like, you go to, like, what film festivals are, are, like, the ones that you go to that you're like, that's a priority for me?
1: I mean, none anymore, man. I haven't really been to anything well, in a long time. I I went to Fantastic <laughs> Fest three times eight years ago. Jesus. Like is it that long? Yeah, man, you're old. I know you don't want to ah. live in this world where you're actually yeah. old. But you are old, <laughs> and we've been doing this for a while. And uh, right, yeah, no, I mean, I I would love to prioritize more festivals, but the reality is like, it's fucking expensive, man. Like it's it's. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's obviously less for friends of ours who do it for press reasons, but even then, you know, I I was able to do a couple things in Chicago for press, but driving into town for a couple of screenings is not the same thing as like what y'all are doing you know that and and this is a thing right every festival has their people who are there as like this is a big thing for them they're there to do the fest and then there's always people who show up for like one screening or I mean Emily you kind of said like your initial experience was attending a couple things here and there because it's in town and you like classic film and you want to check it out it wasn't like a vacation where you had a hotel and you were planning out your whole kind of schedule that way
5: (laughs) Right. I mean, it's easy when it's practically in your own backyard that makes the choice that much easier. I don't have to pay for airfare and lodging and and try to parse out my time that way. I can just get in my car and go. It's, you know, 20, 25 minute drive from my house. So it's (laughs) real easy and I can just come and go as I please. And um, now I'm I'm into more of the marathon aspect of it now that there's so many great films and I I don't want to miss even the, the lectures are great and informative, even as a non-professional. Um, it just adds the experience of being able to appreciate not just the films themselves, but the physical object, the tangible uh nitrate sure, yeah. film. Um, cause even the program notes help to emphasize that, because it is more than just the content. Um, just appreciating the preservation aspects and 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 again the projectionists and and everything that they do and all their training and um you know just working on the ground to get get these films projected and to take help take care of them and to just keep you know keep things moving.
1: Yeah, that's it's pretty amazing. Okay, I want to hear. Let's okay. let's get back to what I asked before. All right, let's yeah. Go yeah, sorry, this, sorry. yeah, no, it's fine, man. You're stoked. I get it. Let's go through <laughs> the the list cuz uh, the couple things you mentioned to me, Josh, you texted me a couple times while it was going on of stuff you were doing and I was like Oh, man, that's so freaking cool. So, uh, you know, let's just start going through and mentioning things that uh, you think are worth mentioning, things you were excited about, things you were surprised by, all that kind of stuff.
0: All right. So the first movie was 1947's Black Narcissus. And you guys had seen that print before, correct? Or or no?
2: Yeah, they showed it at the first Nitrate Picture Show. Yeah. It was so cool. Oh, yeah.
0: I'd never seen that movie before either. So that was my Whoa. first time. Around. Oh, God, you really? Yeah. Never seen oh. It? oh, yeah. Man. No, I had no I'm idea. I'm almost envious I was of
2: like,
0: you. <laughs> Dude. And like, let's be honest guys. Like for a first time experience for that movie, that's the way to do it. Oh God. You know it, what absolutely. I mean? Like, holy shit.
2: It oh, was Oh, completely so
4: agreed. Cool. That was, that, that was me in 2015 when, uh, when they first screened it. Sure, I, yeah. so I, I relate. I know that feeling. It was, I, oh, man, like, it's one of the best film screens of my life.
2: I'm actually very envious of um, you and Rachel, Josh, because, like, your experience of this film was after having already experienced a lot of nitrate film. Um, Mm -hmm. My experience with it was having experienced, like, a day of nitrate film um, because it was the first year and it wasn't anything that I had done before. And like, I have to say my appreciation of it now, you know, so many years later is so much more than it was then. And like, I'm so glad that you guys got to see that at like having knowledge already, because I think that you got to appreciate it a lot more uh, because of that.
0: man What a breathtaking print too. It was just I so w- beautiful.
2: I was like,
1: all right, we're going to start. There's going to be stuff that I know and there's going to be a lot of stuff that I don't know. And then the first thing you're talking about is like that's like a top 5 movie all time for me. Like like <laughs> I'm like, "Oh." Really? Oh yeah, that's that's one of my favorites of all. T- I mean, there's something about it that um you know, jo- Josh will tell you like uh, unlike him, I have a lot less experience with like mm-hmm. classic film if we're going um especially like what would be even older, like, kind of prime nitrate time, um, I just have a lot of inexperience. I've mostly sort of been a uh, 60s, 70s person. I mean, obviously, I grew up in the 80s, so, like, those movies as well. But when it comes to, like, things I'm diving into the past for, I haven't spent as much time. But Black Narcissus was a movie that uh, I actually watched in a uh, religion and film class. And uh, also saw it on film, though not nitrate, but saw it on 35 millimeter because this, this is the professor who was so obsessed with film that he, all the films for class were screened in a theater on 35 millimeter all the ones he could find on 35 millimeter. And I, I remember kids, kids being That's like annoyed great. that they were expected to go to a theater. Like they're like, can I just watch it on my computer? And he was so bad every time that question came up, he gets so bad. So anyways, I, so I did get to see it on film the first time I saw it and I just was obsessed. There's, it is for me, I have a, a fascination with, films that are essentially uncomfortable like things that get under our skin and and I don't just mean in sort of a classic kind of horror way I mean like all manner of feeling uncomfortable you know feeling unsure of how I'm to experience this and black narcissist struck me as a movie that is hitting all of the expected melodrama notes but at a velocity and tenor that it is impossible to be not unsettled by you know what i mean like it just Mm. it got under my skin in a way that i i don't know if i would say upset but i certainly was deeply uncomfortable and that made me very happy i guess that's weird to say i was very happy with how uncomfortable i was but i was (laughs) and and i have i've watched i've watched it multiple times since i have the you know the criterion blue or whatever and it just it's a fucking amazing movie
4: yeah Yeah, no i mean i think that that makes sense like it's it's an emotionally intense film and it's such a slow build yes. and it comes by way of just these lush, vivid technicolor shots. And I, I think that's, I mean, I, I didn't have as intense a response this time, but I still had a pretty you know strong emotional response to it despite having seen the film before and having seen that particular print before. It just, you go through this whole like, okay, you know, we start out with, um, these nuns out in England and everything is, you know, orderly and whatever. And then they um, start to set up at this monastery and they're dealing with culture shock and they have plenty of time to just think. And, you know, as we all know from the pandemic, being left alone in your own head can be a dangerous thing. So it's, it just, yeah, it, it kind of sneaks up on you like memory. Yeah, we um, actually, Rachel and I were talking
2: about it on our way home from the film. Like, again, because I have so many more years of experience with these kinds of films now than I did when we started, like I started being able to draw like connections between films I have now seen, like um, specifically with that unsettling feeling of like incomprehension and um, not being able to turn to anything that makes sense. You turn within and uh, that like... Taps into a particular fear of mine of like, you know, not being understood or like thinking that I'm, you know, talking and actually I'm gibbering or something like that. Like, it's just kind of it's a scary thought, Um, but it definitely brought to mind like Event Horizon to me, um, that sci-fi film um, where it's like the people were were accidentally taken to like an alternate universe or something where everything was so incomprehensible that all they could do was destroy themselves and, like, that's kind of how this film feels. And, like, they do it in such a slow way that you kind of feel a little bit like that as well. Um, and it's just so gorgeous as they do it. So it's kind of like a very, very pretty hell that you're kind of descending into.
1: All right. It's also worth mentioning that it is one of the examples of why we are too quick to write off that painting as a bad idea. Like, I get <laughs> we're all so obsessed with CGI that, you know that's what people want but the matte painting in that movie is so impressive like there's nary a moment where i'm like fake stupid it's stupid (laughs) look how fake and stupid that is it's like the the shot where she's off the looking off the cliff you know the first time i saw the film i was like where the fuck did they film this like it it took me a sec to realize like oh wait no that's that's not there that's 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 not what's <laughs> happening right now it's just i think it's really impressive work uh with you know what was at the time the height of filmmaking right yeah yeah
3: uh, that I was so that
0: that was the thursday night screening and then we reconvened did you guys go to the shorts program on friday
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: So the next program was nitrate short. So that was like the very first thing on the Friday morning and it was a bunch of movies. Did do you guys have uh, any that you liked in particular, any that you wanted to hold up in particular that was like meaningful for, for you in any way?
2: I mean, Hen Hop was fantastic. <laughs> Basically yes. like this is the second year in a row where they're like, you know what? There were some ding-dongs who wanted some money to make films, so they tricked the British Postal Service into giving them money to make an advertisement for Bonds, and what they really did was made an Artur film, and then at the end tagged on, buy Bonds, and then called it a day. (laughs) And it was just, it's fantastic. Like It was very colorful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cartoon, and they drew it directly on the film and uh it, you can find it on youtube i found it on youtube and i sent it to my husband i'm like you need to watch this this is pretty fantastic and uh yeah def- that one i think was definitely the one to worth calling out <laughs> the
0: the one by the guy who did uh man of iran was pretty cool too the uh, it's called a night of storytelling
2: yes that was beautiful
5: i love that
0: yeah. so, oh my god that that was the one that was like holy shit like the that story behind it was just so cool you want, would you want to tell the story behind it?
2: Yeah. So apparently um, somebody in Harvard received a box that was all locked up and they just kind of tossed it in the back where nobody was going to go looking for it. Apparently they have like an X uh, co- closet. And uh, he mentioned specifically that there were some opium pipes back there and uh, um, they found this box that was, you know, perfectly wrapped up, unlocked it perfectly all, you know, nice and tidy in there. And there was a, a reel of nitrate. And uh, it was uh, this, you know, as you said, Josh is from the director who did Man of Aaron, and they thought it was lost. And uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but it was in a a dialect of Gaelic that isn't necessarily used anymore. Um, And it was just people singing and speaking and telling a story and just like the preservation of that language in that time. Um, And they made sure that they reached out to a uh, an archive in, I believe, Dublin to let them know that it was in existence and still there and still perfect. And uh, that it really um, it really touched that person to make to know that that piece of history was still around.
0: Existed, Yeah, it's from 1935. So it's insane.
5: Yeah, and those but. are the stories that make the this festival so special. This, these moments of discovery, and and there were several that popped up throughout the festival in these different films that people thought lost, and these people who have been working in the industry for decades, and they still get surprised. By the things that turn up or you know just even the chance to see some of these films like i've been working with this for 35 years and this is the first time i'm going to actually see this film projected on nitrate and yeah. um uh, it's just it's such a wonderful experience to, for everybody to come together and share in this excitement
0: yeah it was it was cool and the dude who presented it he was from harvard right like that was the yes. he was one of the harvard archivists and my man was staying at our hotel and he had, like, a green suit on and a top hat. It was, like, well, not a top hat, but, like, one of those, like, old-timey gangster hats. I was like, this dude is cool. It's so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was pretty rad. But the other thing that I will never forget for as long as I live was that they had the screen tests for Gone with the Wind at the Shorts program this year. And that was insane looking. <sighs>
5: I love the screen tests, and I know there are so many more because they're, um, I mean, the Eastman Holdings, they have a vast amount of um, prints from Selznick's collection, including his however many <laughs> hundreds of hours of screen tests uh, he has. And, and so I'm sure we'll be treated to more in years to come, which, I mean, I hope so, because I'd like to see more from Rebecca, personally, if there yeah. are any more yeah, floating s- around.
4: Sorry, Emily, I keep stepping on you. Yeah, they um hmm. they, they screened the some of the Rebecca screen tests uh, last, last year. year. And just the fact that Selznick retained these screen tests is incredible because most studios did it. Like you might see like the stills of like costume tests, but it's not it's not like this, especially for actors that did not end up in those roles.
0: Yeah. So wild, Tallulah Bankhead trying out to be Scarlett O'Hara, or test trip for that—that's crazy, insane. Ah, anyway, so yeah, so that was like the shorts thing. Is there anyone, anything else that anyone wants to talk about during the shorts program?
4: I need to the Mary up Butte. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> do that one. Which one yeah, it? the
5: uh, synchrome number four, uh, also escape is the. Oh, yeah, that it was, was one after all, like, the colors,
0: right? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was another like animated one, right?
3: Yeah, it was set to Bach.
5: Yeah,
0: yeah. Talk about that one a little bit. Uh,
3: <laughs>
5: how do you describe visual music without actually know. seeing the visual music? That's the real challenge. <laughs> um, <laughs> I- I'd seen a few of her shorts. There's a Flickr Alley avant-garde Collection and and some of her shorts are on there, I believe, and they're equally entertaining. Just just amazing how they come to visualize the music and see these shapes and colors and patterns, how it all intertwines to make these sometimes just three four minute films, and how it all comes together. Just it's a fascinating process. I'd love to know more, I guess, about the behind the scenes
3: yeah. of
5: it and the, the technical aspects of it, but um. Yeah, it's it, I love seeing these experimental shorts as well, because we've had a lot in the past from uh, Len Lai, some really interesting yeah. shorts. Um, Those are the I, ones with like
0: all the colors that were written right on the on the film, right? The Len yes, Lai ones? Yes, I
3: believe so. Yes.
0: Yeah. So rad, dude. So cool. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, so sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was going to bring up the um, the thick. Initially, when they announced the shorts program, what made me the most excited was the two Disney shorts, uh, Flowers and Trees and the band concert and, um, Flowers and Trees was the first animated film to use the three strip technicolor process. Um, so that's why I was extremely excited to see it again. I mean, I, I grew up on Disney channel when they used to show these all the time. I hadn't seen them in years and, um, Part of what was really thrilling about band concert was just listening to the audience react to it and laugh at it the way like it was intended. And it was just so nice to be reminded of something that I think a lot of people forget, which is those Disney shorts were not made for children in particular. They were made for a general audience. So they work for everybody, regardless of age. And I just loved being reminded of that. Yeah, it was cool seeing Mickey.
3: (laughs) I appreciate that. All right. So,
0: yeah. So uh, that was the shorts program. And then we followed that with 1930s uh, The Blue Angel, Der Blau Angel," And that was uh, their first time at Nitrate showing a Marlene Dietrich movie. And also my first time seeing a marlene dietrich
2: movie i'm sorry <laughs> nice so, i'm so <laughs> sorry i had to be that one it's
0: a weird one man there were moments of like what i felt like was like it, it d- do you know this movie at all Liam?
1: i am entirely unfamiliar oh, well God. so okay it's like this
0: dude is like a college professor right and correct me if i'm wrong guys because like you know memory's a little fuzzy after all these movies but um i he's fell like asleep
2: a, a little bit so you're probably better off than me <laughs>
0: It can happen. It can
2: happen. It's a thing.
0: But uh, yeah, so it's like this dude's a professor at this college and um, his students are all like rambunctious, uh, you know, German dudes. And they have all these postcards from uh, like a burlesque house. And he goes over there to like catch his students in this house. And he meets Marlene Dietrich, who plays Lola Lola. Right. That's her name in there.
4: That is her name. Yes, she's Lola Lola.
0: <laughs> as a Filipino man that's very funny to me but anyway um yeah like so and she's like the singer and he ends up like um defending her honor from a, a an aggressive drunk while he's trying to track down his students so it goes into this it starts off as this weird like oh the teacher is looking after his students in this like in this house with these ladies and stuff in there and then it turns into this thing where he like falls in love with her and they get married huh and then he joins the circus and stops being a teacher and now he's playing a clown. It Dude, it goes into this wild, almost surrealist turn to me. I had no idea what was going on by like act three, where now he's like fighting and like the strong man is like making out with his wife while they're there and stuff is woof. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys didn't like this movie or what? Were, you, were we just not into it? <laughs> um, I mean, so- it was
2: German and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: The bread and butter. Yeah, it's kind of dope, though.
2: <laughs> I mean, it was it was an interesting like. I yeah, Rachel has all the things to say about it,
4: and I agree a hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was not my first Marlene Dietrich film, which is why I said, I'm sorry that it was that one. Um, I had actually waited years to watch Blue Angel because I was like, oh, it's it's going to be amazing. It's going to be transcended. It's the first time Joseph von Sternberg featured his great muse, Marlene Dietrich. And y- you realize the film isn't actually about Marlene Dietrich. It's about the Emilie, uh Jennings character, the, the professor. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. And... The other thing that like really surprised me is, you know, in film circles, there's a lot of conversation about like the the gaze of the camera and all of this. And the camera seemed bored by Marlene dietrich there There's a few closeups where she's absolutely, you know, staggeringly beautiful and charismatic. But the camera was very disinterested by what was happening, like to everybody. it was it was just kind of distant. and it was like, you know, you. I think that might be part of why it was easy to nod off during it because um, it just wasn't, it wasn't enticing. It wasn't seductive. It wasn't, look at how sexy Marlene Dietrich is, um, which I mean, I guess is good because it wasn't objectifying her, but it also made it hard to understand why the professor was so obsessed with her. Um, so I got to say, Blue Angel's definitely overrated. Um, But a comment I made about it, it being Pride Month and all, is I do love that Marlene Dietrich, noted bisexual, was perpetuating the stereotype that bisexuals don't know how chairs work as early as
2: 1930. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Are 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 people doing us proud? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I want to circle back on this, Josh. You've never seen a touch of evil?
0: Uh, no, I did. Is Marlene Dietrich in the *Touch of Evil*? I think so.
4: Oh, that Josh, you—you of... you just made wait. me so happy that you didn't recognize her either. <laughs> he,
0: I had no wait, she because *Touch of Evil* was another movie that was screened this weekend, Liam. Did I tell you? No, that, no? No,
3: that's no.
0: no, that's *Force, force, of, force evil. of Evil*. *Force of yeah. Evil*. Sorry, wrong evil. Yeah, My bad. *Touch though. of <laughs> Evil*'s
4: um, Orson Welles, Janet Leigh, um, Charlton Heston is a Mexican. Oh, I do remember um, that
0: movie. They did. Did they screen that at Nitrate like a couple years ago? No, That's where sadly he has, like, not. Horrible yet. accent, right? Like,
5: <laughs> Trump I think it's Mexican too late guy. for nitrate. Oh, yeah, I think so. And like yeah,
4: 58. 58, yeah, yeah, did that we, was that was past the nitrate it, era. Uh, I, I
3: feel we, like
0: I did see it on film with somebody, and I think it might have been Liam, but I'm unsure. No, but I do remember not. this. Movie.
1: I've only seen it because uh, a version of it showed up on the internet. I, I don't think I've ever seen it like in a theater.
4: So I need to clarify why I said I was so happy that Josh didn't recognize Marlene Dietrich either. The first time I watched it and the Marlene Dietrich character, who's like a kind of fortune teller, chartreuse friend of the Orson Welles character, she comes on screen and I was like, oh, hey, that lady looks like Marlene Dietrich. (laughs)
0: Lo and behold. I know. That's the.
4: Yeah, it's. It, it seems so weird now and I always like kind of kick myself but it's it's very reassuring to me to know I'm not the only one that wasn't like, oh shoot, Marlene and Dietrich like right out the gate.
0: <laughs> yeah. No idea until just now. <laughs> Thank you, Liam.
1: <laughs> I mean look, I it it's also just evidence saying. of of my not knowing much because I'm like uh, I don't know. I saw her in something from 1958. You know what I mean? Like I'm pretty much also unfamiliar with uh, with the classic material. Okay, let's keep going here. I'm sure there's a lot more to right. talk about. Yeah. yeah. So the
0: next was uh, uh, Silence is Golden, and this was the Renee Claire movie, right? The French one.
4: Yes, with uh, Marie Chevalier. Oh so
0: yeah, yeah, delightful. yeah. It's, it was like uh, so this movie's about um, the director is like well kind of hard to describe it felt like an american in paris to me did you guys get that vibe from this movie or no am i off base
5: Uh, (laughs) less creepy maybe
0: (laughs) and no americans yeah so i mean (laughs) automatically less creepy (laughs) (laughs) not a musical but uh yeah so um do you you know this
1: movie liam no okay uh, it's it's
0: Are like you uh, looking
1: for me to help you right now. Talk
0: about the yeah, movie I'm that, that you to think saw. About,
3: like, the, well, I'm like, trying to figure out <laughs> how you to put saw it saw the movie words. Josh. You have to be
0: ready should, to talk about. It. Well, first of all, we saw the movie. Second of all, yeah, I'm just trying like to put it into words, and it's kind of like jumbling up in my mouth. Basically,
2: like, yeah. Basically, it was about um, a filmmaker in Paris who has like a little protege who's he's trying to teach how to woo women, and uh, protege has to go off into the military for only a month. I don't yeah. know how this I am like, this is a plot hole. Um, but uh, during that time, a young woman comes to stay with the director who is a um, daughter of his friend who married the love of his life. And so he gets a little bit creepy about her, but not like overtly terrible. It could have been much worse. But, but then, uh, like little she protégé, moves in
0: with him, right? She moves like, in
2: with him because yes. he doesn't she doesn't have anyone to stay with. Um, And so, like, you know, he's trying to be respectful and stays on the couch and all those kinds of things. Um, But protege comes back, meets her on a um, like on on the like carriage ride and doesn't realize that he they know the same person. Um, He puts all the moves on her that um, the director taught him and she falls in love with him. And then it's a hilarious comedy of errors of them realizing that they know each other. And then the director realizing that they were in love with each other and being uh, very upset about it and uh, just kind of unspools from there. Um, But yeah, it's a little bit meta with the movie making and everything like that, but is it is very, very delightful. I would
3: say.
0: It's one of the few movies that has a happy ending that we've seen at nitrate. No. Yeah. That's, that's actually
3: so yes. true. And so sad. <laughs>
0: because like at the end of the movie what ends up happening is that the old director is like oh they're young they have their time to love and i've already had my time so and he gives their his blessing right something like this would you say Mm -hmm. that's what happened oh yeah so it's got like a very twee ending like it's like uh it's just happy and everyone's all psyched (laughs) which seems weird it doesn't feel right but what do i know you know what i mean so (sighs) but Again, it's the only happy ending movie outside of like Wizard of Oz <laughs> that I can remember. Off you the top and of my me head.
2: also had an excellent ending. Oh yeah, true. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You're right. So that was the next one, right? Was that the you and mm, me Force was, of no, Evil? Force of Evil next. was the next one. Yep. And that nice was, old noir. That was a nosedive from the high ending of uh, of of the uh, um, Silence is Golden. This one was grim, but I've seen this one before. Have you seen this movie, Liam? Force of Evil. Nope. So this one's about like this sleazy lawyer dude who's like in the numbers game, right? Like he's like doing this illegal betting and all this. And he's got a brother who's like the head of a bank, uh, a bank branch or whatever. And he's like trying to get him into the the hustle. And then things go awry. Yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Did you guys like this one or what? Was this the first time watch?
3: No, I this was a revisit for
5: me, um, and I get, I'd get i forgotten actually a good chunk of the film, even though I, I watched it not that long ago, but this was a, a great chance to revisit it, and it the print looked great, um, and it was nice to see John Garfield on the big screen as well, because he's, uh, I think, still kind of an underrated performer, and uh, unfortunate that his career was cut so short uh, by the likes of McCarthy and HUAC, and... All that nonsense, but um it really great performance from him and from uh Thomas Gomez as well. Um and, and I should mention there is also an upcoming uh Kino Lorber release, I believe, uh next month in July. Uh so that's definitely one to look out for if you haven't seen it. Um I highly recommend it.
3: I that have seems not cool. Seen it. Yeah, 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 yeah that's
0: oh good. no, I've not seen the Kino Lorber I don't know what it is. Sorry. Confused <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what's after that? So after that was Duel in the Sun. What'd you guys think about that one?
2: So racist. It was so
0: racist. This one is a lot of brown face in it, man.
2: Yeah. Not only that, but like the bad guy was like so racist that he was supposed to be the bad guy because he was kind of racist in the movie, which like it's 1950s of racism, 1946 racism. So like, yeah, that's how racist this dude was being. Like it was real. It was a lot.
1: Like he's yep. the bad rate. He's the extra racist in the. Racist oh, yeah.
2: Part. And he was using like like probably every like derogatory term for a Native American or an indigenous person I have heard in my life. Like, I don't think he left any out out to dry on that one.
4: I mean, I think he left a few out only because I can think of a few John Wayne uses in the searchers that weren't employed sure. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> but um the the brown face oh my gosh like i knew yeah. that um jennifer jones who's the lead actress and like most actresses in golden age hollywood was white um and they painted her brown and i remember thinking during like the opening scenes is like the shock was hitting me about just how brown she was i'm like you know they spent all that time painting a white girl brown and they spent so much time like making Rita Hayworth, who is Mexican, look more white. I mean, what the just what is the, the backwards weirdness of the way they dealt with race. Then it's just ugh, so gross so, and wild. We had
0: talked about this, though, at the festival, right? Like, yeah, these movies are from like before 1951 when racism was very rampant. Right. So like pointing mm-hmm. it out now just kind of is just like, I told you guys, right, during the Shorts Fest, there was a bunch of, like, depictions of black people and stuff that was less than pleasant, I can say, mm-hmm. right?
2: Oh, well, they dropped the N-word end quite a few times. A
0: lot! A lot! Yeah. But, like, the whole time, like, there was this dude sitting behind me, He's like, oh, here we go again. And it's like, bro, like, yeah, we get it, but what, like, how do you guys deal with that kind of stuff? Like, how does it, like, affect... Like, what do you think about when you see it? stuff? Because it's like, you're obviously going to see this stuff at a film festival of films before 1951. Right. So, like, you know, like me and Liam talk about this, this all the time. about like, oh, it sucks that you like that. But, you know, we get it. And I kind of mm-hmm. feel like myself in that space with it. You know what I mean? Like, OK, it's yeah. going to be there. It's, it's a bummer. Like, pictures of Asian peoples in these things. Like, all right, it sucks. But we're here. You know what I mean? Right. And like, like what, uh, what do you guys think about that?
2: it's a tough one and we did talk about this at the festival um josh and rachel and i about because um, we went to see birth of a nation um many years ago at this point
4: Kristen um, and showing, i did
2: yep um it was uh, a showing in rome new york at an old theater um they had a woolitzer uh organ playing um so it was a silent film um, and uh, they had a police presence at this film showing because people knew that it was, you know, it used to be a Ku Klux Klan recruitment uh, tool. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of terrible things in that film. There's brownface, there's the all the sorts of horrible stereotypes about Black Americans, about, um, you know, the real reason why the, the South lost and all those kinds of things. Um, but... It, you know, this is all due to Rachel. Please understand everything I know about film is because Rachel taught me. Um, but, uh, you know, it was the first. That's me the and Liam, first, like, go on. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the, first, the first big battle scene in a movie. The first chase scene in a movie. Like there are like really big historical roots there as far as cinematography is concerned. Um, and like choices and shots and things like that. Is it like reprehensible and awful and totally wrong for sure. But understanding that history and understanding where these things come from and understanding like why film has that kind of like language that it has is is incredibly important because if we know where those roots are, we can understand like the ways in which they were wrong, but in the ways that it uh, kind of forwarded the art as well. And like, it would be, it would almost be a waste to throw things like that away when, you know, there is incredible value to it at the end of the day as well. Like obviously acknowledging all of the things that are terrible about it, but like, Mm. you know, taking what you can get from it and uh, leaving off what you can't.
1: I, I, I think I'm a little more skeptical on this subject than Josh is. Uh, I think like it's different for me. So this is the big difference for me is that it's one thing to, I I think that the situation that you're talking about, Josh. The thing about that that bums me out is just like you're in a place where you're if someone commenting. It doesn't actually do anything. Like that's my more my concern is like Oh, so like the performative aspect. Yeah, why are you fucking chattering Mm. right now, buddy? Like we're all (laughs) seeing it together. You paid to get in here. I don't know why what you don't have to like validate yourself in front of all of us. But I think like for me I, I personally think, and I Rachel, I don't consider myself a ex- expert like you. I personally <laughs> think we overblow the importance of birth of a nation. I think it is very mm-hmm. influential on a bunch of French directors, but I think some of the things people say, <laughs> no one had ever done this before. There's I've read plenty of stuff where people are like, well, actually someone did but it was less influential, right? So like
3: Mm. part
1: of the reason this thing blew up, besides just the fact that I don't know that anyone actually figured out why the French fucking love that movie so much, but in America, the cultural impact was more important than any mm-hmm. of the fucking insightful shit he did as a filmmaker. Like a- as much as we might say like oh this is a great example of this thing, part of the reason this thing persists. It's kind of like uh I have heard some of the same conversation around Song of the South, right? People talk about Song mm-hmm. of the South. And my frustration with Song with that argument A is that when it was released was 46 47, there was protest then. People were offended then. It's not like we invented offense to that movie. People <laughs> were offended at the fucking time and then Disney's all like, well, we were just doing a thing and we didn't know it was bad. And then every time they fucking re-release the thing, it, it's it's when there's uh, uh, civil rights conflicts and they mostly release it in uh, in the South. So it's like, well, you kind of knew what you had here, guys. You knew what you were doing. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that like on one hand, especially at the thing you guys were at, this is specifically – we've talked about this before or you brought this up before, but I, I want to highlight it again – this is not just about the content, right? This is an exhibition mm-hmm. of the material. And so, uh, you know, not that you guys watched Birth of a Nation, but like if, if, if you did, it makes a lot of sense to me because it's a, an exhibition, whatever. And I, and I do think there's a certain value there. But I think sometimes people want to take the historical value argument and use it as a blanket over everything. And sometimes yeah. I think we're overestimating the importance of some of these things. <laughs> uh, and, and like I, the, the reason we've talked about this before, Josh, and it really gets on my nerves, A little bit is there's all this conversation right now about they're they're trying to edit books, you know, for kids. And my vibe on that is always like, there are millions of kids' books. Like, we if you're that worried about kids reading that book, just don't read the book. Like, I don't think it matters that. Like, like I think people should be taught the history. But the idea of like we need to update Kipling every fucking year. Yeah,
3: so
2: that's actually really interesting because um, and to skip ahead just a little bit, but libelé. Um, they that was there was evidence of that kind of editing there too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, both by World War II Germany and the folks that came after. Um, Jewish names were removed from the credits. Um by uh by Nazis, uh, so that there was no acknowledgement of of Jewish contribution to the film. But then after World War II, um there was a whole scene where the uh, national anthem for Nazi Germany was removed as well. Um, so edits happened um from both ends of things. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting to see like oh uh, there's there's some revisionist kind of things happening from both sides of the the aisle.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I
1: I watched Birth of the Nation for my film class, and I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was like, "Why are we watching this?" Because especially because that was specifically a French film class, and it was very much like, "Yeah, we gotta watch this." And I I think there was very much <laughs> that feeling, but I think people take the the some of that idea and they kind of expand it a little further than it needs to be. Uh, and and use it to defend things that I think are not as
2: oh, yeah, quite it's as quite nuanced, as defensible and yeah, it's, for it's, it sure. It's nuanced and it makes yeah. it it makes it hard to defend. But and, I do think but,
1: Josh, what you're describing feels so ridiculously performative to me because it's like, bro, what are you accomplishing by making all these shorts hard to watch for other people? <laughs> like no one's gonna come up later and go, Don't
3: worry,
2: you do not... the white man behind you, don't agree with <laughs> racism.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> like, it just seems so yeah. yeah. It feels very weird. It feels like, uh, is he worried someone after screen is going to be like, so did you enjoy that, buddy? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? (laughs) Really
0: turn the (laughs) screws. But bringing focus back to um, Duel in the the Sun, the movie was, I mean, okay, there's a lot of problematic shit in there. But it was so beautiful looking. Oh, like was this so was pretty. so also beautifully <laughs> served by the nitrate sepia tone, you know. Sure, yeah. Like just the brown look of a western what? It was awesome. Never seen yeah, anything was really that beautiful. beautiful. Like that. The rich yeah, red I mean,
5: skies and oh
3: yeah. The um, like glowing, in a good glowing.
5: oil lamps and that, yeah,
0: dude. That like Wow, it was just, it was gorgeous. Kristen, you're the one who told me that, like, with the night, I-, I think it was you who told me about nitrate, like, the things to look for are, like, the glint in people's eyes and the way that fire looks on it. Was that you?
2: Oh, no, I don't think it was me, but um, I've definitely noticed that, like, especially in black and whites, but, um, you know, definitely in color as well, as like, the the how things shine. Like, there's definitely yeah. a shine to it. But, yeah, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I don't know who made I thought them. it was,
0: I-, I-, I tried to talk to, well, I was trying to, like, just, like learn as much as i could from people in like in the audience with us and i think that's mm-hmm. i thought that was you who told me that but someone did tell me that i didn't i, I didn't read it mm-hmm. or anything but um it, it was very evident in this movie like just there was like a lot of like low light scenes where everyone's just like glowing in the eyes and stuff and then the lamps come on and just look so like beautiful and just gorgeous and then in the third act or like at the end of the movie when they're uh, shooting each other on the mountain just the way the mountain looked with the colors of their clothing against it mm-hmm. so beautiful so striking. And let's talk yeah. about Gregory Peck
2: in this movie, huh?
0: What do you guys think about that dude? Oh God, Gregory Peck. <laughs> I mean,
2: he was he was prettier when he wasn't talking.
0: No, there it is. <laughs> Inten- I've never seen him be a bad guy in a movie.
4: Same. And you I think know. part of what was also really jarring for me this time around was the last time we saw him at a nitrate picture show. It was in Hitchcock Spellbound. Oh, and so when he good. first, yeah, when he first came on screen, like the a large part of the audience gasped because he was so pretty. Um <laughs> And I'm kind of sad that didn't happen again, but he was also being a jerk. And yeah. it's it's painful because... It's Gregory Peck. And a lot of us have this image of him as Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. or we've seen him in other things where he's like dignity and goodness and he's being a jerk and he's executing the performance expertly. But it's like, no, I don't want you to be this person, Gregory Peck. How dare you?
0: <laughs> Agreed. But that's what, it. What this a was also-
5: stacked supporting cast we had on that. I, that oh, that God, was my yeah. main takeaway. And um, just go Joseph cotton, Lionel Barrymore, Herbert Marshall, who wasn't in this enough for me personally, uh, mm-hmm. Lillian Gish, then Walter Houston shows up. you got Charles Bickford, uh Harry Carey, who is a a well-known silent uh western star, but he's he's great in everything that he's in as well, so just a really stacked cast of supporting players um so that was a real treat.
4: Yeah, some of my favorite shots in the whole thing were of Lillian Gish. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a part where she's, like, lying in bed, like, near death, and just, like, the lighting on her. It just, I mean, it it didn't take much to make Gish look luminous. It's part of why, um, to return to D.W. Griffith, he loved shooting her so much. But, like, it's just, it was just, again, transcendently beautiful. Like, so much of that film was just such a great use of... The technology of Technicolor, um, and again to return to the comment Josh made about the browns, something that I love that one of the archivists at the Eastman Museum brings up um, regularly, uh, Anthony Labati, that you know, thing about Technicolor is people think of the vivid colors, but what really often defines it, especially um, in the 30s and early 40s, is the browns, the earth tones, and they're just they're so rich and they're so vivid, but like not in a like blown out way.
0: Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Breathtaking. So, so that, yeah. All right. So that movie is dope. And then after that, we watched the Fritz Lang movie, 1938, you and me. And this movie was awesome. It it definitely was unlike, dude, I'm, I'm like, I'm inclined to think the same thing. This is unlike any other Fritz Lang movie I've ever seen before. But I haven't seen much to be so. But this movie was awesome. What do you guys think about this one?
2: Yeah, it was definitely my favorite. Like, I don't think I could rank Black Narcissus or uh, Wizard of Oz because I've I've seen them before. But um, this one was fantastic. Uh, I don't know, Liam. Have you seen this movie before? I have not. Okay. Mostly, so like I said,
1: this is why I was so blown away by the black narcissist thing. I expected to be yeah. a blank slate for all, everything y'all are talking about.
2: <laughs> That's fair. Um, so basically, um, this one is um, a an owner of a department store hires ex convicts who have a difficult time reintegrating into society. So like he's basically just like giving people a second chance and giving them an opportunity to you know turn their lives around. And uh, one gentleman is very open about this with the gal that he's interested in, and she's not open with him about her status. Um, but they fall in love, they get married, and then it's a very hilarious sort of like, you know, rom com sort of situation after that of like him finding out, but then deciding to go back to his life of crime. And, you know, the men around him being like, nah, dude, <laughs> let's not do that because she's actually awesome and she's keeping us all safe. So like, let's not all be idiots now. Um, But definitely uh, there was, if there was any theme throughout this film festival, it was a group of dudes (laughs) taking one gal under their wings and being like, nah, she's her, she's ours now. And uh, we're, we're not going to let anybody touch her.
4: Yeah. It also happened in silence is golden. And of course it's central to the wizard of Oz. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, as somebody who, I can't, I mean, I've seen a, a lot of both silent and sound Fritz Lang, um, and so you and me was, it, it, it's both very typical Fritz Lang, as somebody doing the intro had explained, but it's also very atypical, because you don't usually get rom-coms from Fritz Lang, or happy <laughs> endings, um, the yeah. sense of humor, and mm-hmm. um the, the featuring of like underworld, uh, criminal class characters is very, um, typical of him, but it's not usually the sweet, um, or playful,
0: right? It's not usually, yeah. this playful.
4: And that's I don't the think it's, this movie is a charmer. Yeah.
0: Like it's such mm-hmm. a charming movie.
5: Yeah. Sorry, I it's almost more like it. a Lubitsch film.
4: Yes. You know what? Yes. That's, that's what it reminded me of. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs>
0: super fun i did love this Um, a lot this is probably a a plug for
2: this one is definitely it's for on sale on uh uh what is it kina lorber kina lorber yeah
1: we're gonna be we're gonna be pointing a lot of people in that direction i bet i feel like they (laughs) they tend to have all the classics over there honestly all right sorry so the next movie after that was libel
0: eye and this one did not grab me (laughs) <laughs> i was having a hard time with this one and uh speaking of yeah, german on yeah we already <laughs> talked about um how this was edited kristen said right about like yes. you know on both ends and uh this movie was a bummer man it was, <laughs> it, was it also came mm-hmm. like at the end of the day and it's just like ah <laughs> this is uh sitting real heavy in the old stomach here there's a lot of snow yeah mm-hmm. i i I can't even say what this one's about. Like, like it's about like a soldier dude and like a lady. And then there's a duel and there's infidelity. It's a lot, <laughs> a lot in this one.
3: Yeah. yeah. Did it's... you guys, did
0: any of you guys like this one or, or what?
3: Objectively.
5: I enjoyed it. Um, I could appreciate. I think the story as it was being presented, I liked Magda Schneider's performance. Uh, But yeah, I emotionally, I had a hard time wrangling with it it's just, you know okay it's another love triangle and he's having an affair with the baroness and, you know basically uh his, his boss's wife more or less and uh, I mean, it's a story we've heard before and i don't think there was enough to really set that apart but um i mean i, I did get something out of it I, I wouldn't call it a favorite i think i had higher hopes for it especially being a, a weimar era uh production
0: yeah And uh, I mean, Peter, when he announced it, right, he had a lot to say about Max Ophuls and like had the rarity of the screening and all this other stuff, which again, is cool, but yeah, I don't know.
3: Yeah.
4: (laughs) I mean, something Peter, sorry. uh, Something Peter did bring up in his intro was it was an early uh, talkie and how um, in early sound films, the cameras were often very stationary and Ophuls found ways to have um sound but also have the camera be more like mobile and that's definitely true in that film um personally if i was going to show an early sound film as an example if i had the option of just showing one i'd show fritz lang's m but that's also my bias towards uh-huh. fritz lang coming out well, again
1: yeah. i mean come on that's yeah now ah, you're speaking my language i think um <laughs> i think though like it uh, This is what's interesting about this fest, right, is like, I assume not everything is chosen for or it sounds like a a few things are not chosen for entertainment value, right? Like people might really love this film, but the people who chose it might have chosen it just because they're like, look at the quality of this print and... Something about the film not working might not really matter for some folks. You know what I mean? Which kind of, I think, is in some ways, in some ways, that makes it more interesting because um, you might be exposed to something that otherwise you wouldn't for because of people's like general tastes. But I think also, you know, Josh, you got to be honest with yourself. Like when something doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. That's okay. That's fine. That's just it. Yeah. I mean, the next movie that
0: we watched was. Definitely in the same, like, wait, what the fuck are we looking at? And that was uh, <laughs> I mean, that's literally
4: the best way to put that. That is such Dude, a great summary
0: of it. So fucking weird. It was called the Middleton family at the New York world's fair. And it was, it was a commercial. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah for, it was a it very was long so commercial. Weird. It was yeah. basically an ad for Westinghouse technology and pro Free market. I'm sure when it came out, Iron Rand absolutely loved it. Um <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> which can tell you a lot about how we probably felt about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. It was just
0: like, what the fuck, man? It so basically, Liam, the movie's about a family and, uh, like, they're visiting to New York City, and they're going to the World Fair, and their daughter's in art school in New York? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And she's dating her teacher, who has an oddly-sounding uh, last name. Since a little, you know, a little commie. No?
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, little <laughs> little a European,
2: Z. little bit maybe Jewish. I don't know. It got a little, it got a little awkward.
1: Oh, is this be, is this becoming like the uh, the the cultural socialism question? You know, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah, yeah the, con- yeah. the conflation of one with the yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ugh, yeah Nicholas that-
5: Makarov was his, was the uh, <laughs> the artist's name. Oh no. <laughs> oh
0: no and then she has another suitor from her hometown that is working at the world's fair so the family goes to visit him and then it turns into this whole like philosophical battle between the free-spirited art teacher painter guy and this industrious young american man who who believes in electricity
2: that what is the, the best way to put that that is such right? a good summary that's what of it that. was though am i am, i mean that's that's yeah.
0: what i saw again like, it was weird
2: i <laughs> think like so to be clear rachel and i were on our way to buy skittles to eat uh, as soon as it turned to color for the wizard <laughs> of oz and we're discussing this film <laughs> but it was like both of them had like relatively decent points about certain things but they were both such douchebags about it that it wasn't even uh. worth listening to <laughs>
4: Yeah, it was like, can we go back to showing us the wonders of like Westinghouse technology, like their dishwasher? (laughs) Can I see that again instead of the smoking robot calling the man smoking robot?
3: Robot.
5: (laughs) The (laughs) advertising copy would have made for less awkward dialogue, honestly.
2: Yeah, Yeah,
4: seriously, yeah, like the the whole like drama around what was her name, Babs, Um, and whether she was going to go with you know her art teacher or her old hometown sweetheart jim treadwell um oh god it was so bad although babs's wardrobe was quite jim. fabulous
5: it, just, it has to be
2: oh yeah obviously so generic. i think the best part about watching that film was watching it with an audience because everybody's reaction to it was incredible like especially it was the dad the yeah dad the dad oh my was gosh terrible. Yes
5: so gloriously just oblivious to everything and that's i think that's what made it for me made it more mm-hmm. bearable certainly <laughs> oh
0: my god it was, it was so definitely bad. a weird way to end the saturday night <laughs> it's
3: like all right yes. now go in the it courtyard was a choice. and a beer yeah <laughs>
5: well it's <laughs> kind of like what they did last year they've been for a couple of years they were trending towards like, sort of having a, a centerpiece um like the mm. the red shoes or rebecca on yeah. the as the saturday night screening uh, and then, starting last year, they kind of pivoted towards almost like an MST3K, uh, like a midnight kind of screening vibe. With uh, the uh, I don't know twenty sixteen Trail of the Hawk. Yes, yes. Oh thank God, you. right.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking of um, Tales of Hoffman. Oh well. Lord,
4: Tales of Hoffman. Oh, that was bad. I don't know this movie. It's so, also um, Paul and Pressburger. Yeah, so it's Paul and Pressburger. It's. Um, It's based on a novel, I think. It's basically a very long fever, technicolor fever dream of a ballet film um, about a guy boasting about his love affairs. Um, And some parts of it are very pretty. Some parts are very weird. Overall, it goes on for far too long and (laughs) is just... It it's it's dull. I I do want to watch it again while on a substance that is legal in California and as well as New York. Um because hey, it might be. to do that this year. We did. Yeah. But I mean, then we I watched think Citizen it, Kane instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the funny thing about watching Citizen Kane was that the father in the Middletons at the oh, New York yeah. World's Fair also played Charles Foster Kane's father. So it's funny to get to see oh, him wow. twice. Yeah, I know. Like, that was something they mentioned at the beginning of the screening. And I was like, oh, well, that's a wild coincidence. Um, <laughs> was he
5: any better in Citizen Kane?
4: I mean, he was I, just as
2: weird and dad. Yeah. Incredulous, credig- in cr- <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, well, it's
4: very much the same kind of, like, I'm the dad energy. But, like, <laughs> with nothing behind it. Just, like, I have this title, so that's who i am i'm the dad which it just uh Ugh not uh, good
0: it's a lot man and the <laughs> shitty kid too fuck that guy but oh um
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think rachel's th- insistence that he's not actually straight because no child that age should own two like three-piece suits and i I stand <sighs> just by walking that
0: around in that thing yeah like it's, it's normal yeah. Like, yeah. It makes me feel like I don't know the country in which I live. But then, <laughs> the next movie was the Sunday morning screening of Wizard of Oz, and there was a line, a
3: gigantic oh, yeah. line
0: to get in by seven forty-five in the morning, is what uh, they said. People started lining up for this movie, yep. and the movie didn't start till eleven. So ten. That was 10. Or ten sorry, my bad. My bad. Yeah, no worries. That was some Still.
3: shit,
0: huh, dude? I'd, I've never I'd seen, seen, seen anything Wizard of like Oz. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Like, cause so Liam it's wizard of Oz, right? But the, they were saying how the beginning and the end, the sepia didn't keep of the nitrate prints so they used safety print for the big, for the black and white parts. Right. Am I correct in saying that? Is that what happened?
5: No, there, I think it's <laughs> the sepia tone was faded a bit. I mean, it looked almost like straight black and white. I don't know yeah. how that happened, but uh, it was like a portion of real five Um, uh the the heading it's succumbed to water damage i believe and so they had to replace that with uh i think a a safety print from the 60s that's correct and you you could see the color difference
0: immediately
1: Oh, that's interesting yeah
0: which they did that for pinocchio too last year where they had to use like some like safety print because like the reels were damaged but yeah this there was you were right. They're saying something. I just was trying to remember what they're saying about how like the, the beginning and the end look different, but the technicolor bits were exactly as you would have seen it when it came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: I mean, part of what it might, what you might be conflating with it is um, the George Eastman museum is home to the nitrate negatives for all of the technicolor for wizard of Oz, but um, only safety elements remain for the black and white sections. Mm, So that's, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So
0: how did that resonate with you guys when we were watching it?
2: It was incredible. I think, especially knowing the story behind that particular print being from like, what was it, 1945, and it was shown in the UK specifically, which was shown for about three years because it remained in theaters for that long. And so, like, just like emphasizing the point of like people being post World War II and needing this little bit of magic and just how much that would mean to a group of people after after a horrible tragedy like that. And then also, like, the fact that there were children in the audience and there were even adults in the audience who had never seen Wizard of Oz before. And, like, getting to, like... The audience reaction to people being like, yep, nope, never seen it was just like, yes, oh my gosh, we're so excited for you! And it's just like, that kind of energy was very much necessary um, for that kind of film. And it was just, like, so pretty and so... Yeah, it was just everything.
0: It was so good. It was so awesome. Man, I'd never seen it like that before. And it was like one of the most like stunning, resonant cinematic experiences in my life. Like, so a little insight. Melani and I had to put our dog down last Tuesday, who is uh, oh, a I'm 16-year-old so sorry. chihuahua so sorry. named George Romero. Because, of course, <laughs> that's, that's what his name was.
3: Yeah. and yeah,
0: uh, yeah. So... But, dude, when Judy Garland is singing to Toto, when she starts with uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I fucking lost it. I started oh, bawling. Yeah. I couldn't even handle it. Like it was, I was
5: tearing up, too, yeah.
4: <laughs> same. Oh, my God. I was, was weeping was like off and on. Same.
0: Dude, and that's, like, the beauty of a great film that, like, still somehow maintains its timelessness, right? And it's still, like, a narrative that, like, everybody wants to see and believe in the magic that it presents and dude it did it and in it, nitrate mm-hmm. holy shit like one of the most emotional screens i've ever been to for me
4: it was so I, funny because at the beginning oh go ahead rachel no you go
2: first i was gonna say it was funny at the beginning because they were really emphasizing like it's not going to be as bright as what you've seen on tv it's not going to be those neon colors like it's really not going to be all that colorful in comparison but like it was gorgeous it was so perfect and like there's not a thing about it where I was like oh yeah no this doesn't seem bright at all it was definitely you know super vibrant and really gorgeous and deep like it had a very deep de- good depth to it because of the like the browns and the blacks and things like that it was just fantastic
3: yeah
5: and the emerald city was just so subdued all mm. almost was like kind of pale greens and really mm-hmm. soft and Especially, yeah, compared to modern prints where they they dial up the saturation on just about everything. Yeah, sure. I think yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
5: I'm going to be spoiled. I think for this, the way that um, I mean, I don't know that maybe ever be able to go back to the Criterion edition of Black Narcissus. Now that I've seen that nitrate print, I, I think i been spoiled on that too. And I'm I'm afraid <laughs> to see what it looks like with the, in the cleaned up restoration because I'm just, I'm not going to be able to relive that magic that the nitrate print provided.
4: it's it's true it's yeah you'll you'll have flashbacks to it but yeah for all of their trying to temper our expectations um as Kristen and emily both noted like it was still beautiful it was it was vivid it was again just and again the technicolor browns like judy garland's hair in the close-ups she's like i mean she always looks beautiful in that film but she just looked particularly luminous. Um, and I mean, I also had a very strong emotional reaction to Wizard of Oz. Like it I I am I'm not usually a crier when it comes to movies. <laughs> um, but Wizard of Oz is one of the reasons I study film. Um, why I oh, devoted so amazing. much of my Yeah. It's um it's the first film I ever got so into, I wanted to know its backstory. I wanted to know everything about it. Um, And one of the highlights of studying at the Selznick school is when we tour the nitrate vaults, they will show you the negatives for wizard of Oz. I mean, we don't like, you know, take them and unspool them, but it's like, I have held one of the cans in my hand and like, just, it's amazing. I did not expect it. And I was so beside myself that they screened wizard of Oz, frankly, because Mm -hmm. Um, so much in archives is we have what people thought to keep or what's left. And often the best prints are the ones that weren't popular in their day. And it never even occurred to me that they might screen Wizard of Oz someday, which is kind of crazy considering they own the negatives. But um, I always just figured like, no, there's probably not any projectable Prince of Oz left. They've probably been used to death. So this was just, I was witnessing something I never thought I'd be lucky enough to see. It's something that has, um, you know, enormous emotional resonance for me. And yeah, I, I just, I spent so much of that film just like silently weeping because I just felt (laughs) so blessed and was just so like transfixed by it. Um, and to not be too much of a like over-emotional downer, I feel like I need to explain why we needed Skittles for the screen. Yes, this is very essential. Yes. um, First of all, there's technically no eating or drinking in the Dryden theater. So do as I say, not as I've done. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, But once upon a time, that wasn't the case. Uh, Back when I was a student in like between 2008 and 2010, you could still eat and there was the older seats, different rules and whatnot. And, um, uh, Kristen and I went and saw a screening of wizard of Oz. Um, it was like a Saturday matinee or something. And, um, we got to the point where, you know, Dorothy gets sucked up in the cyclone and then, you know, poop lands in Oz and, we get to the moment where, like, she opens the door and, like, you see the, like, color for the first time. And I leaned I over think to this Kristen. part needs to
2: be from my my perspective, which is that okay. I'm sitting here watching this movie that my friend dragged to me to at, like, 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And then I get an elbow and I'm like, what? And I hear some crinkling and then I hear Rachel go, taste the rainbow. And then she handed me some Skittles and it was color. And it was just very very confusing <laughs> that's kind
1: of perfect though.
3: yeah no, I, had I had forgotten didn't see it exactly. coming
4: i had <laughs> forgotten i had even done this until Kristen reminded me a couple years ago oh yeah <laughs> oh, yep. it's so,
0: a great tradition i'm just saying. yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> so because that was the case um we went and bought skittles at wegman's as you do um mm-hmm. The night before, and I smuggled the skittles in my purse next to my crocheting, and mm-hmm. is I, 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 like because I know the film so well, I've seen it so many times. I knew like okay, when the bed hits the ground, I need to start opening the skittles back. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, i I was thinking i'm like you know it's a sunday morning we're like you know we're all queuing up and gathered here as a community to witness something sublime and now we're taking communion and i'm (laughs) probably being blasphemous (laughs) for a lot of catholics but i was like no no this all makes perfect sense it tracks
1: i mean that's that's fine
0: so then the next movie was kane e archome artyom The, the and you guys said you dipped out for this one, right?
2: Yes, we did. I did
0: Emily did, Emily, yeah. you stayed for the movie.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I did. I this one was like, I missed the screening last year, and it's like I want to make it through everything this year. And uh I don't know I, I missed Rope at last year's festival and oh, I I don't know no. this is buddy.
3: Uh, yeah.
5: <laughs> not a great oh. trade-off really. I mean no a terrible film, but um it. Brings me back to my very first uh, nitrate picture show experience, which was in 2017. Um, it was a Czech film called *Serena*, about uh, you know a working-class family and kind of a pastoral sort of a drama. Oh god, that's um, it was it was interesting, and I was trying to get a sense of what the the nitrate look was all about. Um, it was kind of a tough sit. It's it's a tough introduction to. <laughs> the festival proceedings but i i made it through somehow um and it kind of harkened back to that a bit like okay so this is what we're getting into again sort of a very kind of simple tale of um we have a it's like a, a love
0: triangle right like it's another like thematically a lot of the movies this year was like sexy guilt yeah.
4: <laughs> that is Kinda that what? is really accurate actually. The <laughs>
0: overarching like idea for most of these movies is like, oh man, sexy and guilty. And like that's this movie is no different. But so this was a silent Russian movie from uh when was this? Twenty nine, nineteen twenty nine?
5: Yes. From well, from the yeah. USSR. So uh Ugh. not doesn't really peg it down too much because in, in 29 that could have been anywhere. <laughs> Those borders changed a lot over the coming decades, so um, it doesn't pinpoint yeah. it. But uh, the release we saw was it was the um, the 1931 French release um that with, was with added music and sound effects which yeah. uh some of which eh, were some it's were better than others weird.
0: yeah and he like apparently he got real experimental with the with the soundtrack for this one but the movie was like basically it's a love triangle but like the director was a noted anti-semite and so mm. there's a lot of colorful language in the subtitling for this movie oh and then like gosh. Oh, dude, it was like, what the fuck am I seeing with my eyeballs right now? Like, this thing was like, <laughs> it was so just like, it, not that, I mean, okay, I get it, but it's also just like, why? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, Emily, did you have the same feeling with this one? Or did, is there anything that you were able to take away from this? Because I, by the end of it, I thought that I was like, did I fall asleep during this? Because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm looking at right now.
5: <laughs> I admit, I think I did not off it at a couple points. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Yeah. it's a yeah. silent just... film, you know, that's what it is, so.
5: Well, I mean, as much as I love silent cinema um, and have a lot to explore in that realm, uh, there, there are some that are not going to catch your interest, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Um, but I, in the program, it just uh, there's a remark from Aston Nielsen, who apparently loved this film, really admired the, at least from an artistic standpoint, which I can understand with the uh, some of the editing that was done. Uh, she refers to it as a, uh, a film poem. That has no equal, which uh, you know at the time may have been true. It, in line with a lot of probably more of the experimental cinema that had been coming out of the the twenties and into the thirties, um, mm-hmm. so very similar editing to some of those films. But um, y- yeah, story wise, there there's not a lot to cling to. Um, yeah, it, there's. I, mean, I think there's there's something almost kind of heartwarming to it how the uh, how Artem the uh, uh, do you do you really call him a, a protagonist and an antagonist I, guess he's still I, I don't a know how he did. yeah, gets, yeah. Uh, but then he <laughs> kind of comes around and uh, I guess on his own anti-Semitism which I, I believe the director did as well so it was sort of almost like a, a like a self insert character maybe
0: <laughs> yeah attracts. again it still doesn't answer the question of why but you know whatever like the movie was fucked up man it was it was fine i don't know i didn't (laughs) but then then the next movie was the final movie of the weekend which was the blind date with nitrate and that was the third man
3: which was Uh, that was
0: my first time seeing this movie as well you you
4: were You were treated on on both
5: ends of the schedule then. Yeah, it was
0: fucking incredible. And and, okay, this is a as a brief aside prior to us getting into this movie, particularly. I just want to say also after we saw this movie and like that night we were back in the hotel, I had a dream about George, my dog. And in the dream. Uh, we were walking in that street in Vienna and he was on his harness and it was black and white. And then he got out of his harness and ran away. And and Ooh. then he met up with two other fluffy white dogs that were sitting on the corner. And then the three of them went on their own adventure. And that was the dream that I had after watching this movie.
4: Oh, <laughs> I love Aww. that so much. Really it's really sweet. It, actually. It's
0: <laughs> really weird. But I also like, I woke up with a feeling of calm. I was like, ah, oh, okay. I feel okay. But, um, yeah. So I don't know the third man, this movie was fucking bonkers. What were you guys thinking about this one?
4: So, um, this is one of those films that, cause I, I, I've seen it before. In fact, Mm -hmm. there was a day I want to say like a month or two ago where I was just like, I want to watch the third man. And I wasn't entirely certain why, um, I get cravings for films. I don't know if the rest of you do that. Oh, um, yeah. Sometimes. Absolutely. It's, so yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Glad this isn't just like my film school weirdness, but. Um, know, I,
1: I, I'm i too addicted to novelty.
4: So like, <laughs> no, no, I'm
1: serious. Like, so I, there are a couple times we well, I'll crave, but often it's, I'll crave something, but I want the flavor of the thing I'm familiar with in an entirely oh, new package. Fair. And I, I drive myself that. insane trying to figure out what it's going to be. And then I'm only satisfied like 50% of the time.
4: (laughs) I mean, fair, but, um, like I had like this incredible craving to watch the third man again. And I rewatched it and I was like, why do I not own a copy of this movie? I love it so much. And, um, so I was absolutely thrilled that it was the blind date. Um, the part that was extremely like, Amazing, wonderful, further telling of how amazing the Nitrate Picture Show staff is, was the tale of the print, because um, I got to look at the program notes for where it came from, Um, because most of the print came from the Packard Humanities Institute at the UCLA Film and Television Archive. But the last two reels couldn't be projected. And um for people who are listening, who have seen the third man, you can understand why that would be devastating. Um, for those who haven't seen it, um, there's a famous chase through the uh, sewers of Vienna. And um, luckily the uh, BFI was able to provide um, the two final reels in nitrate. So we didn't have to deal with the like nitrate, 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 and then like cut to safety, which, because it happened a couple times for the festival, I think it's safe to say it's jarring, um, yeah, because of the aesthetic shift. So yeah. that was for me incredible. And um, for those who haven't seen the third man, my uh, one sentence description of it is: Joseph Cotton thinks his friend is dead, but he's not. He's Orson Welles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And he's selling pharmaceuticals that are bad, real bad. Right? That was the whole like contention of this movie that he was selling like penicillin that was watered down, and people were yeah,
4: sick. and it was like not actually killing helping children.
1: anybody.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, killing the kids. Got to do it for the kid. But man, what a movie, Liam! Have you seen this movie before?
1: I have. It's been a while, but that's. it's funny that the fest began and ended with movies I've seen. Uh, I'm not <laughs> as familiar as I am with Black Narcissist, but it is a movie I've seen before. And it's funny because I had thought of this movie not that long ago, only because um, uh, I have not seen as many Orson Welles films as I would like, uh, and so like you know i should rewatch the third man sometime like it just came into my head um i think why was i even oh i was thinking of that because uh i was reading someone's um writing about babylon and they mentioned orson welles and i was like mm. i need to watch more orson welles movies
2: yeah. he is pretty this magnetic is awesome. it's very interesting to see him like he looks very ordinary and yet he's like you can capture your attention
3: yeah
0: Dude, and you're right, though, that last final sequence through the through the tunnels in the sewers of Vienna is so gorgeous, just Mm. in the composition of the black and white and the contrasting colors and just it just looked so labyrinthian, right? Like it looked so like convoluted and yet it was just beautiful to see. And just the way that the light was interacting with the water in those scenes, like, oh, my God, I'll remember that for like a really long time, like rest of my life kind of thing
4: that's probably one the of the more best beautiful noirs.
5: showcase of of nitrate and it's easy to see in the black and white and especially when you have a noir with the intense chiaroscuro lighting the the inky black shadows and the, the intense glowing almost highlights and uh, the light in, in Alita Valley's eyes and the the s- steam coming from the trains pouring through the windows and um yes. you just really get the best sense of the what nitrate was capable of at least as far as the black and white film was concerned and it just it's just top notch
2: like you bringing that up was um actually really important because um they showed it on nitrate and the last couple reels were kind of messy um they showed the safety immediately after just like one reel um so you can see the comparison and the reason why even if it was messy they showed the nitrate and um, that particular scene where they're standing in a cafe outside of a train station um, and you see the steam come through the window, that made it so obvious what the difference between nitrate and safety was. Because it was so flat and so featureless on the safety, but it like had this nice glow and this like, you could see the lines of uh, like the, the slats in the windows and things like that in the nitrate. Like it just had such better definition and the light coming through was just so beautiful.
4: And for what folks who haven't seen <laughs> for folks who haven't seen nitrate um, part of the like the nitrate aesthetic. Cause we've like just talked about, Oh, it's luminous. Oh, it's so pretty. Um, part of like from a technical end, why it looks so amazing is um, because the prints were struck so early from the original camera negatives. They're, you know, much earlier in generation. And, the way the whole like positive negative um, creation of prints works is every time you make a duplicate copy, you lose a little bit of detail. So um, for that reason, the safety one was not going to have the same level of detail. And also um, something that I was reasonably sure of and had to look up in a textbook to verify is that nitrate film stock was like 20 microns thicker than um, acetate film stock. So um, doesn't sound like much, but just it adds a whole different texture to the film when it's projected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that factors in.
1: I think the the way that those physical elements change the experience is something I didn't quite realize until I was reading about like 70 millimeter, which I just was like, yeah, it's bigger. And it's like, well, yeah, okay Yes, it's bigger, but that's not the whole you know? But I think that's how people feel Like, yeah, 70 it's bigger They made a bigger film, okay And But you, you kind of you kinda get that With people a lot, like, I don't think You know, this is the, you guys know uh, What's his name? Um, Neil Young was on this thing for a long time About how, like, the digital music Files don't actually contain As much information as a physical record That, like The idea that like, oh, we've we've replicated all these experiences completely this fluidly into digital life. It's like, well, actually, no, like it's scientifically it's it's just not as much information. And everyone assumes like, no, it's on a it's on a computer. So it's better because it's on a Mm -hmm. because it's on a computer. And it's like. Well, no, I mean it's good. It's I'm I'm not anti computer or anything, guys, but we just gotta live in the reality that it's not always better. There are things that get lost sometimes. Uh and you know, compressed stepped on MP3 files are not the same thing as a as a as a new well balanced record. It's just, you're just literally not having the same experience. And the same thing with film. Like I uh uh have always kind of like uh Uh, and josh i've talked about this like the the experience of seeing it you you get kind of blown away sometimes when you see a really high quality print of something that you've only seen in other formats before and not realized what it could be like in a theater yeah yeah totally
0: and then also like so during the screening of force of evil at the end it stopped you guys remember that when the film just like yeah and there was a collective pall. like everybody just was like <gasps> and then like Peter yelled like oh this is fixable which is fine and it was cool they stopped the movie and they started again it was cool but like there was a brief moment when I was like holy shit it's going down number seven here it is <laughs> did you guys get that feeling too or is just me I panicked
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think something somewhere- happened at a previous festival where there was mm-hmm. i think the the film got skewed and you could start to actually see the soundtrack which you're not supposed to see on screen and they had to cut the projection and then repair it uh, but they they got that fixed in pretty short order um but i i have complete faith in these projectionists it, it really is an art what they do um and the fact that they were able to get it back on track and see the film through to the end uh and to do it yeah. in such a just a calm professional manner it really speaks to just some of the best aspects of the Eastman Museum itself and also of this festival um, and just you, you don't even mind the little the technical glitches because you're like well, we'll get through it it's it's, it's part of <laughs> mm-hmm. it's something you wouldn't really get in I mean, you're not going to get it at a theater showing a digital film like maybe there's a, a technical glitch it's like I just paid how much money to to get the yeah. seat and this, these snacks or anything and then, and then the thing doesn't even work properly this is it's a different ball game and so like, you almost welcome <laughs> the mistakes and the errors and the imperfections it's it's just yeah. all part of the package
2: it's kind of a conflicting feeling of like i want to see the end of the film but then you have the realization this could mean that this film gets destroyed if we do this <laughs> so like <laughs> i'm like show it but only if it, only if you can like only if it's all right like, yeah only if don't don't okay. hurt the film yeah <laughs> yeah, There's yeah it's exactly. elements
0: of high stakes that play with every screen. yeah things,
4: yeah for sure
3: I think,
0: like it's insane
4: what was kind of funnier about what happened with the force of evil print was it was all of a sudden there was this like black like shadow piece across like yeah, the like lower a left circle. frame mm-hmm. yeah and um there was a part in silence is golden in which there's a scene in the cinema where Marie Chevalier is holding up his umbrella and blocking the screen. So (laughs) because that was still fresh in our minds, I remember thinking like, who's, who's blocking the projector? What is happening there? (laughs) Um, I don't have this verified, but based on just like what happened, the way it was blocking it, I think something, maybe some perfects from a, Paired edge came off the film and got lodged in the gate, or, and like that's what was casting the shadow. That's just my theory. I don't know if I'm right, um, but that's my guess as to what happened. Especially because when they restarted it, they didn't have the um, the gate on over the film. You could briefly see the soundtrack. So mm. something got caught there, is what I think happened.
0: Well, there was a collective gasp.
4: <laughs>
0: it was pretty wild. But uh but yeah, that was it, Liam. That was the fest,
1: man. What do I you mean, think? I mean, I it sounds great. I there's a couple of things you talked about that I would probably skip and get food, but uh I was actually really surprised at how much of it I was like, God, oh, that sounds amazing. Uh but I think like like we already said, like part of the point here is also the preservation aspect. And I think that's something that's very important. Like as you remember, Josh we've had guests on who Work in preservation and like uh, We have friends who work At preservation places and uh, Of course so a lot of people we know who do preservation Are more in the uh, uh, Exploitation film space but (laughs) uh, But I think This uh, there are I mean I don't want to pretend That like uh, uh, These things are going to last forever like There is a sense in which Um, unfortunately that, that there is a time limit here and, and whatever, but I, I really do think like being ushered into a space where someone is taking this very carefully preserved thing and displaying it for you. There's something very, uh, powerful about that experience. And so, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of worth it even for the things maybe that didn't hit for you. Right. Because you're still yeah. seeing something that took a lot of effort to even present in front of you. So I don't know. I, I There's something about it that I find very interesting, uh, but I was, I, I'm pleasantly surprised to learn that two movies that I think are really great, Uh, were shown because I I was expecting to be totally like, Yeah, sure, it sounds great, whatever. I'm glad you guys had a good time. (laughs) Uh, and instead, it sounds really magical. So, uh, hey, Emily, uh, Kristen, Rachel, I'm so glad to virtually meet you. And I'm really glad you could come on and talk about it because I hope this will be one more way that next year there'll be more people there because they'll want to make the effort to come out and check it out, you know?
4: Yeah, for sure. And Liam, hopefully you can join us. Um, next year so you can like experience this madness in person um yes (laughs) and
1: i'll make sure to comment at all the uncomfortable parts so everyone knows (laughs) that i'm cool
4: (laughs) (laughs) everyone to know that i'm cool yeah i mean how else will we know you're cool liam i mean we'll have no other (laughs) indication this it's true
1: this, this this uh this really feels like a skip from like, I think you should leave or something. Right. Like I really yeah, pictured right? him yeah. just in the audience going, Oh, I can't believe it guys. Can you believe it? Like, I don't know. Anyway, basically what it
0: was. He's was like spitting on the back of my neck while he was doing it. It like, way to be an ally Narusty. dog.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Seriously, you guys are awesome. I'm so happy. I talked to you guys and that you guys were so cool and so chill and so awesome to come on the show and be um, guests. So rad! Yeah. Thank you so much. I can't even say it because, like, again, this is our fourth one there, and I've never spoken to anyone there ever, oh,
3: man. <laughs> except for
0: Melani. Yeah. So you know, I this feel time like the lesson like, like,
2: is the lesson is knit socks. Yeah. And there you go. People will talk to you.
0: I hope the (laughs) socks come out wonderfully and warm on your tootsies.
1: Thank you.
0: uh, (laughs) i will be happy to
4: know I was continuing to work on my sock during this conversation. So
0: I appreciate
3: it. Proud of you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you.
4: All
0: All right. So there you have it Uh, Nitrate Film Festival, the seventh one uh, done and done. And thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe, as that is the currency that means something to podcasters like we. And uh, thank you again to our guests, to Rachel, Kirsten, and uh, Emily. And you guys are awesome. And that's the episode.
3: Ooh.
1: Anything, Liam? I thought you were going to do the thing, but yeah. No, well, yeah, I thanks, didn't know thanks, if you had anything
0: <laughs> else to say. Yeah, okay, no, I'm, cool, good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good and smoke
1: bomb do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism
5: judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love car business the horror podcast on the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is Liam Don And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these
1: movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain.
2: So if we have to suffer through it, so do you.
1: Horror business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. <laughs>